0: Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent. And in this week's episode, we have Jacob Ellis. Jacob is a final year ministry and theology student here at Avondale University. And we're going to be discussing the theme of seeing the goldsmith's face. Jacob, let's jump straight into the discussion because we are going to be unpacking something that I am very excited about. Are you excited about it? Absolutely. Great. Look, the title comes from this idea that purity of molten gold can actually be judged by whether it reflects the face of a goldsmith or not. Often life as we've been looking at throws different and many and varied fiery trials and are they refining us is the question we want to look at. If so, then they're not pleasant and. I think we can speak from experience, Jacob, that when we go through these fiery trials, these refining experiences, there's really nothing pleasant about it. But does God allow us to pass through difficulties to purify us? Does God allow suffering in order to transform our characters into his image? And so we're going to be jumping into this. And I guess, Jacob, my my initial thought goes to Paul's one of Paul's famous verses regarding this theme and topic, and it's from 2 Corinthians three, eighteen, where he speaks of how By beholding, we become changed and we're being changed from glory to glory. And I guess this idea and concept within scripture of God's glory is best revealed when God and Moses have an encounter and God reveals to Moses, his character and God's character is his glory. And so it's this interchangeable thing of God's glory is his character. And we were made in God's image to to, to reveal that image and so. When we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a few things that come to mind. Firstly, Jesus has removed this veil, which had limited understanding of the Old Testament for us. And the second point that comes to mind is how we don't have to be like Moses and have a veiled face. And Moses couldn't see the face of God. There was this veil that kind of, I don't want to say separated, but it was just it was there because the people would not have been able to see God in all of his glory and all of his goodness. And then thirdly, This transformation is an ongoing work through the Holy Spirit. Jacob, I want to throw it to you now. Paul wrote a lot about the image of God. We see from the outset in the Bible, we as humans were made in the image of God. What exactly does he mean by that? What is the image of God?
1: Yeah. Good question. I think when we talk about image, we need to understand what that is. Mm -hmm. So an image is something that is like the original or it contrast or replicates the original. So when we're saying the image of God, God wants us to be like Jesus. Mm. He wants us to replicate Jesus. And when we look at Jesus's life on earth, he was replicating God, the father. Yep. And in fact, there's texts which say, if you've seen me, you've yeah. seen the father. That was Jesus's ministry. Adam, and you pointed out that we were made in the image of God. Adam and Eve were made in the image mm. of God. However, that image becomes distorted, it becomes messed up because of sin. So that image was perfect when in that creation account, but as soon as sin has come into the world, mm. that image has become distorted and the image of God is not as clear. And so when we talk about salvation in particular, it's about restoring that image, Yeah,
0: which well, like, I really like. It, we almost see this bookend, if you will, started out in the beginning, created in the image of God. Sin wreaks its havoc, but through Christ, that image is being redeemed in us and ultimately will be, we can see a lot of evil in our world today. And this can give people a distorted idea of what God is like and who he is. But the amazing thing I love is that at the beginning of John chapter one there, it speaks of how there's been one who has seen God and it was the only begotten son. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came and he was full of grace and truth. And it's this almost like the two sides of the same coin. God came in the person of Jesus to reveal the grace of God, but also the truth of God as well. And generally good people who love Jesus can restore the honor of God. We look at Job and the life that he lived in the face of incredible suffering, incredible pain and torment and situations that came his way, that even though we have fallen sinful natures through the Holy spirit, we can be empowered to live righteous lives. And this is, it's been coming out already within our journey through the quarter so far that God wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or imagine. God can do great things in us, but
1: firstly, we have to become nothing. And that's a testament to God, hey? Yeah. Is that who, when we look at who we are, we're the ones hmm. who turned our back on God's, we're ultimately the blame yeah. for that distortion of the image of God. And yet he's still wanting to use us in restoring that image. So the image of God is
0: who he is, his character. And I guess probably worthy to note that God's character, we see this in first John chapter four, verse eight and 16 as well, that God is love. And God wants to reveal that love in us for us to be loving and lovable Christians. So in Matthew 5 verses 14, God says, you are, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And this can be a challenging saying to think, wow, we are the light of the world. And in other instances, God calls upon us to let our light shine before men. Why? So that they may see our good works, but it doesn't end there. It's so that they can glorify our
1: father, which is in heaven. And that just proves it's not about us. It's not. No, it's not. Absolutely not about us.
0: So could we then, by extension, Jacob, could we go another step further and say that the suffering we go through, the refining we go through, it's not really about us?
1: Absolutely not.
0: How often is it the case that when we're going through a refining experience, if you will, that we turn the focus on ourselves? Why me?
1: Woe is me? All the time. And it's easy to go that route because I guess that we have that distorted picture of God. Why is God doing this Mm. to me if God is good Mm -hmm. if God is wanting the very best for me and Mm -hmm. all things work, then God's want, yeah, God's want, all things are working pleasingly for God. Why is this happening to me? We don't get that. We don't usually think of the big picture of why is there a bigger frame that I'm meant to be Mm. considering here. Yeah.
0: And we need to keep
1: that big picture in mind.
0: Yeah. Look, it's a rebuke to me if I'm being completely honest, because it's so easy for me to want to throw a little pity party. Woe is Morgan Vincent. Woe is Jacob Ellis, right? Why? Because we see, we would like the attention. We would like people to go there, there it's going to be, but, and look, there's nothing wrong in the sense of having comfort from people, not at all. But it's when we miss that all of what is happening is not about us. It's about God. At the end of the day, God is wanting to restore or recreate that image of God back in us. Why? Well, as we're going to go to in just a moment, it's not really about this planet either. It's not really about us. It's not really about this planet, but it's actually, there's an onlooking universe because Paul would say that we're wrestling, not against flesh and blood. Like you're not fighting against me and I'm not fighting against you, Jacob. Like the other is not the enemy. Though, yes, we may have earthly enemies, Paul lifts the lid on this in Ephesians 6 and and he speaks of how we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There's a sense in which it's cosmic, it's universal. Is God a good, just, fair, loving God? Or is he whom Satan wove and spun and told lies about? That he's self-serving, that he's a tyrant, and that he's only seeking his own good to the detriment of his creation. And so there's this controversy going on.
1: And we feel we're trapped in this, isn't that? Yeah. We only see what we can see far too often. We don't consider that there is a far bigger reality. Mm. There's a far bigger picture. That's just what we can see.
0: Yeah. Jacob, I want to throw a question to you. When you think, when you reflect upon the story of Job in the Bible, how does that sit with you? Does it encourage you? Absolutely. How come?
1: Because it shows, I think you touched on it with Job chapter one, verse eight, amongst all the trials that we face, amongst all the difficulties, you can still be a man that is blameless. Mm. You can still be a man in the eyes of God that is righteous. And I guess I know that's said at the beginning Mm. of Job, but when you look at the end of Job, God says, Practically the same thing. Mm-hmm. He's done nothing wrong. Yeah. So amongst all the questions, amongst all of the difficulties that Job faced, he was still a blameless, Yeah, still righteous. And that's great comfort for me. It's true. It's true.
0: And, and I think as well, Jacob, in, in thinking of all this, there can be the tendency to doubt God's salvation when we're going through a refining, difficult, awkward, uncomfortable process it's almost like we can think you know well this is happening to me therefore god must not love me or show favor to me or maybe i'm not saved because i'm going through these trials and these difficulties like it's the the saying is it can be true if we give satan an inch he will take a mile and if we can properly frame what's going on in this refining process that the ultimate purpose and intent is that god's character his image would be restored in us through his work in us if we can keep that in mind then it's okay i'm not having to doubt whether i'm still in with god whether he still loves me and has saved me because there's this verse i want to go to in in second corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 17 and paul here is speaking about the importance of not focusing on the temporal and the visible He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. It's the same like literary phrase that he uses of earlier, where we're being transformed from glory to glory. We're being changed day by day. Then he says in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so I think for many of us, we know this to be true, that there is eternity, but sometimes there are things that can fog our vision of that. But it's important that we remember that Jesus is preparing a place for us, even in the midst of the growth, the pain, the suffering that that we go through. So I, I guess a question, Jacob, to throw it out there is, is this. Is suffering the only way that we are refined or can grow or are there other ways?
1: Yes. When we look at the word suffering, difficulties could be another word that we put with it. It may not mean exactly the same thing as suffering, but yes, it can make us grow. If I, you mentioned before, I'm a fourth year ministry theology student. Part of the ways that I've grown in ministry have been through difficult scenarios. Mm. Can um, you think of, I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you think of, of one? Maybe may big or small. Oh, yeah. I can think of one. You want me to go into specifics yeah, or just g- the... Yeah. Whatever you want to share to make the point. I think it was start... I'll go at the beginning. Yeah. Start at the beginning. There was a situation that I thought was taken care of. And although it didn't involve me per se, it, 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 this sort of situation really got me... Discouraged. I thought that what was being discussed was a good thing. This was going to be me taking a leadership opportunity and it wasn't going the way that it was meant to, and it was discouraging. But through that, it was beginning in ministry. And I guess I hadn't really gotten the mindset that ministry is, it can be difficult. There's going to be these hard conversations that happen. So instead of having the thought of, oh, I'm just going to quit now. Like this is too hard. I want to avoid all this. It's that growing process of, okay, or mentally having that different mental perspective of what's actually happening here. So I hope that answers yeah, no, the question for you. No,
0: it does, because through through those times, you, you saw the growth. Sometimes hindsight is a beautiful thing yeah. where you can look back and think, oh, that's why, that's what has come from it. And As, I guess
1: now I'm willing to have those difficult conversations where before I was someone who was shy and you just yeah, run away sure, from sure. them. So that essence of growth yep. there. Do you like waiting, Jacob? Not if it's something good. <laughs> no,
0: I don't like waiting either. And probably for our listeners, there's a good portion of us that don't like waiting either. If you are someone that likes waiting, yeah, kudos to you. But Jesus tells this parable of 10 virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom. Five are wise and five are foolish. Maybe you're familiar with this in Matthew 25. And there's this delay. They're waiting for the bridegroom, but there's a delay. Jesus has promised, though, to return for his people. The beautiful promise he gives of, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, guess what? I will come again and receive you to myself. So there's a certainty to this. And even though we're living in the last days before Jesus returns five were, as I said, were wise and they prepared for a delay in Christ's return. Whereas the five foolish virgins were not, they didn't prepare. They didn't have, as the parable goes, they didn't have enough reserves of oil, which represents from the study of scripture that the oil is the Holy Spirit, as well as our characters. And so here, Jesus repeatedly gave the advice to watch, to be vigilant, to be on alert. And this is certainly going to come out more and more in in this quarter of lessons and conversations that we have, is that we have an adversary. He's roaring around like a lion, seeking to devour whomever he may. And I guess the thought here, Jacob, is that for us to be prepared for Jesus to come, to be waiting and watching with anticipation. And I want to use the word excited for, this hope we can be excited for. We need a real and living experience with the Holy Spirit that we would, again, have the love of God poured out from our hearts, that we would be these people that God intends and desires us to be as well. And this is important to watch. So a little later on in in Matthew twenty five, Jesus shares another story and parable of the second coming, and the basis for this is separating the sheets from the goats. What's going on here, Jacob, in in this second parable that Jesus taught?
1: The essence of it is good works, okay. But let me clarify what I mean by good works because <laughs> sure. this can be taken many different ways. Yep. So good works in that there's acts of grace, there's acts of kindness, mm-hmm. but they're done unconsciously. And that's the real main point here. They are done unconsciously. So we read that, when did we know that you were naked? When did you need food? When were you in prison? When did we do these things for you? And then Jesus responds, oh, the least what you've done for these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done for me. That there's an unconscious decision to live out the grace and the kindness of Christ. So we're not talking salvation by works. Okay. Thanks for making that, that clarification. Um, it's just an unconscious decision to live out the good character of Christ.
0: Yeah. It links a lot with what Micah chapter six and verse eight says. And he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things, he then goes on to say to seek justice, to love mercy, and All walk humbly with, with your God. That's it. And so when we think about this, we're not at the end yet, but just to summarize where we've been at so far, we're going through a purifying process for the end purpose of being restored back into the image of God, okay? Even though we may go through trials and tribulations along the way with that, we got to keep in mind the greater the meta-narrative, which is this great controversy that's going on. This is all happening at play and we're waiting for the second coming, right? So then it's like, you've just alluded in a great way and I want to make this connection as to what to do during this purifying process and during our waiting for Jesus to come. It it, it could be very easy for people when we're going through a purifying process or a point in our lives where we can see that God is refining and shaping and molding us. And it could be very easy for us to to sit, lament, again, woe is me, throw a pity party, these kinds of things, but that's not really going to help anybody. I mean, yeah, there's a time and place to, to weep and cry, certainly, but if we can keep in mind that we can be a part of God's ministry of healing, God's ministry of compassion to people, Like you said, doing these acts of service and grace and compassion to people within doing that, we're going to be refined more and more. I believe through participating in the ministry of Christ, guess what? We're going to become like him, uh, which is incredible thing as, as well. And so with, with this in mind, Jacob, I want to look at our characters, our characters within this, because there's going to be coming a time where people will have made their decision, not just a one-off decision. But we could almost say like a culmination of decisions throughout their lifetime. It's not this one decision that is going to impact and be your sentence. That one thing you did wrong, Jacob, last week that I don't know about, but that doesn't define you, but rather what is the general trend of our life? Is the general trajectory and trend of our life moving in sync and in harmony with the will of God, or is it moving in sync and in harmony with the will of Satan, which kind of direction is it going on? And we discussed this in the first week, these paths of righteousness. So long as we're with the right person and we're going along the right path, we're going to become the right people. And here, Jacob throw it out. Let's go to revelation 22. And we want to bring out here the importance of being the people that God wants us to be. When, when we think about this, Jacob, is there going to come a time when characters are fixed, when our character, your character, my character is fixed. And when there's no opportunity for change or repentance for wrongdoing, is that time going to come? Yes. And uh,
1: I think we call that the time of probation, the close of probation. So yep. after that point, that's it. Mm. And it's happening at a time just before Jesus comes. Okay. But what I love about that is that none of us know when Jesus is coming. So that close of probation, we cannot say, it's not like someone can say, oh, Jesus is coming. I'm going to make that decision now. It's something that is in our minds of we've got to continue this way because we don't know when Jesus mm. is coming. We don't know when that close of probation is. Which is why happening. he says watch exactly. Wait, be ready, right? Yeah, if if you want to share Jacob that verse in Revelation 22. Yeah, so Revelation chapter 22 verse 11 and 12 says, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who was holy, let him be holy still. It's
0: kind of clear, isn't it? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says there's going to be two groups of people at the end of the day. He's commenting on what we've just read, and I think it's very consistent with scripture. He says at the end of the day, there's going to be two groups of people. The first group will say to God, your will be done. And the second group of people, God will say to them, your will be done. Did you catch the difference? There's going to be two groups of people at the end of the day Those that say to God, your will be done. That's been the trajectory of their life. The trajectory of their life. Yeah. With bumps and ups and downs, the trajectory of their life has been God, your will be done. But the other group of people, God will say to them, your will be done. That's been the trajectory of their life. They've had no regard for God. They've raised their fist in indignant, unrighteous kind of indignation at God and said, God, I'm having my will. I'm having my way. And so here, what you've just read, it's the conclusion of the matter. Those who are filthy will be filthy still. They could have a billion more years, but it wouldn't change because that's been their choice. Or those who are righteous will still be righteous still. They'll still walk with Jesus. With this in mind, Jacob, the followers of Jesus, we don't stand alone. Some can have this very fearful view that we will face the the last events of this earth's history alone. But Jesus promises that his Holy Spirit will be with us and Jesus promises that he will be with us always. And as he has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's also given us the gift of each other, of a Christian community of like-minded believers with spiritual gifts to, to build up the church. And so with this in mind, it's really important that we focus and we strive to be unified as a body of followers of Jesus, a body of Christ. Jacob, when we consider Paul. He was given a special ministry by God, but his vision was wider than his own conversion. What was the vision that Paul had for yeah the church, for
1: ministry? One word really, unity, yeah. that the church would be unified. And if we look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 in particular, he wanted the whole body of God to grow. And I like that because it's not based on individuals. So mm. it's not, we talk about one body, many parts. But it wasn't about the hand stretching as far as it can and the rest of the body not growing because that would make it dysfunctional. Paul's message with that, that with unity within the church was that the whole body grows together in unity. Yeah. That's going to reframe the way we view our refining process that
0: it's God hasn't singled you out, Jacob, to refine you and not me, or God hasn't singled us out and all of our listeners aren't like, we're going through this thing together exactly so let's keep that in mind as well that this seeing the goldsmith's face seeing the face of jesus it may seem like we go it alone sometimes but as we bring things to a close there's this incredible verse where paul speaks of, we walk by faith and not by sight you know we walk by faith that, that even though we haven't seen the full display of being restored into the image of god that we're going there like that's the end goal that's where we're getting to through the power of the spirit and so because of that, we can keep walking by faith until our faith becomes sight, until we see Jesus, until we see the one that, that we can say, wow, this is the one who all along has not only been refining me, but has been walking with me through that. And I think if we can hold those two thoughts in intention, that yes, we're being refined into the image of God, but he's with us through that. It's an incredible thing. So, you know, the story of Job reminds us of that. And we've looked at what Paul said to about this point as well. I remember Jacob, the words of that famous hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And Jacob, I, for our listeners, the encouragement is that we would have faith in God and that he would bring us forth as gold tried in the fire. Any clothing thoughts, Jacob?
1: When I think about the ministry of Jesus. He's a perfect example of someone who went through trials, hardships, just here on earth. Yeah. But he continued to reflect the character of God to the points of death. Yeah. And still maintain the character of God. So he is a great example of someone who has been through that fire per se and come out refined. Yeah. Perfectly.
0: Yeah. Jacob, thanks for, for your time and for sharing thoughts and how God's been leading you and refining you as well through through your life and journey with him. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.